So I'm going to start, I suppose, by talking about something that Jack said about being in court this week. He's got to go and fight the power in one of the institutions in our land. And I too have to, although I don't actually have to attend, but I think I will, I have to attend court this week. On Thursday, a man who tried to come to my office and tell me his views on Brexit and found me not to be there because I was in Westminster and if only people who were cross could just look up the days that we're voting and not bother my staff until Thursday, it would have been much more preferable. However, I was not there and he was cross that I was not there. He had traveled, he was not my constituent. He had traveled to have a pop at me and when he wouldn't go, he got aggressive and tried to slam on the doors and the windows in my office, and the police had to come and cart him away. And this is one of the problems if you speak truth to power, especially if you are, as Jude has already told us, a woman who dares to do that in what we thought would be a progressive society. And so I will go to court on Thursday, and I suspect he will, and. The other thing that I have that other people don't have who have spoken before is that things that I say here are likely to be reported in the newspaper. So I'm going to start this sentence saying that this is in the courts of our land, so maybe don't print this. Um, I suspect he will plead guilty. He is banged to rights. He waited for the police to take him away. And I have requested, and I hope they read it out in court, that he faces no sentence other than an opportunity to sit down and tell me the thing he wanted to tell me when he turned up at my office. Because if you believe in speaking truth to power, you have to also take it when somebody wants to tell you their truth. And you have to allow for his story to also be heard. And so I have requested that this man be allowed to come and tell me his piece and that I will be able to tell him mine, which I will do, and I will tell him that he was a dick for what he did to my staff. Before, I had no idea what I was gonna say when I got up here, and I just thought, best thing to do is just swear a lot. People love fucking swears. <laughs> and I will tell him my piece, and I will say why he might not agree with my stance but that actually this man, it's, widely, it's been widely reported in the newspapers, he's the same age as me. He lives three streets from where I was born. I absolutely will have come across him. Birmingham might be not quite as big a city as the one that you all live in, but it is a big city, yet it has a village atmosphere and there is not somebody in Birmingham my dad has not lent his ladders to. And so we're all connected by that sacred ladder sharing. <laughs> and, you know, before it was trendy to, like, like, set up internet sites so that people could share their belongings. My dad, he was an influencer. Uh, and I will let this man speak his truth to me, and I will try in one small way to unite two people who grew up the same on the same streets 
because I don't want to believe the rhetoric that we are all totally divided. And like I say, to speak truth, if you believe in it, sometimes those of us who think we're always right have to listen to the truth of people who don't agree with us. And if, like me, you want to practice that and stand in front of Boris Johnson and say, please see me, I know you didn't have the same upbringing as me, but believe me when I say this is true, then I also have to practice what I preach. And so that is what I will aim to do. One of the things that I talk about in my book about speaking truth to power is that you shouldn't talk about things if you don't know them, that we are all fundamentally expert in our lives and we should feel free to say our piece. But don't just say something for the sake of saying something. Say something that is true and real to you. And so tonight I wanted to just briefly talk about the reason that I speak truth to power, the inspiration that made me speak truth to power. And that is my mum. I'm going to say mum because that's what we say in Birmingham and everybody who ever writes any quote that I say puts mum and that fucks me right off. <laughs> I've had Hansard change it. Everybody get with the programme. It's not American, it's Brummie. <laughs> yes, some Brummies in the audience. You didn't stay though, you moved here, didn't you? We need you. But my mum, she was not like me at all. She would never have stood on this stage. She would never have dared to think that people would want to listen to her. She wasn't arrogant, she wasn't a show-off. She was literally nothing like me. She did not care to be loved. And the reality is, is that I like that you all like me, although some of you probably don't. Uh, and she taught me that nobody is better than anybody else. And she truly meant it. And she taught me that there is, no, there is no situation, there is no injustice where silence ever made it better. And that you should always try and speak up, no matter what the situation you are in. And so when I would speak up at school, as she had told me to do, she would be called into the school because I had told them, because I went to a grammar school, I had told them that it was a fascist regime <laughs> and that it was a disgrace that they were, thought they were better than the other kids down the road. And my mum would come in and she would always side with me. She would always say to my teachers, you have got to allow people, kids, to say what they think. And then when I got home, she would give me an absolute bollocking. <laughs> And she would say to me, do you know what? This is costing my time. I'm going to actually start billing you. And my mum, when, my, when I was in her tummy and she was the daughter of a dinner lady, she was a working class kid from Yardley where I represent. And her dad had run off with the various floozies. I had a lot of aunties who looked like Bet from Coronation Street, it leopard print before it was cool, and had big blonde bouffants, and I had a lot of aunties. And uh, my mum came from this broken home, but never told anybody, because in the 1950s, that was for shame. And she grew up and was a quiet woman, was told she should work in a haberdasher's, told she'd never get a husband because she couldn't make a jelly by a teacher who didn't realize she was already married because my mom got married when she was 17 years old. 
and had a very normal life, just like the kids who grew up near her. And then she'd never, she didn't go to work. She had babies from the age of 21 until 33. I was the last. But when she was pregnant with me, my mum took on one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. My nan had been given a drug called Ereldin, and Ereldin, in a totally brilliantly and metaphorical story way, had given my nan a drug for her heart that had dried up her tears. And so when my nan closed her eyes, it was like sandpaper going over them. And every day when I was little, I recall having to drag the grit from her eyes, and she had to bathe them morning and night. And this had happened to her because of a heart medication she had been given for angina because they couldn't be asked to do any science on women's anatomy and women's heart disease was not a thing people knew about in the 1980s. And so my mom, with her bad perm and her shit dungarees, she gathered together the stories of the women who had suffered from this Ereldin crisis and she sued the drug company for millions and millions of pounds. When I was little, we had a cupboard called the Araldin cupboard, and I thought it was just like another word, like um, you, everybody has like an airing cupboard, and I thought everybody had an Araldin cupboard. <laughs> but our Araldin cupboard was where she kept the papers of all the stories, and this sapphire ring is, was left to my mother when uh, one of the people who she had handed the money to, she gave all of the money away, she had handed the money to, died, this was left for her, and I carry it round as a totem of the woman who taught me that it doesn't matter how small you are, where you came from, that big companies cannot get away with basically drying up your tears as if it doesn't matter. And my mom was quiet and discerning. She did swear a lot. Her pet name for my dad was stupid fat fucker. But uh, she would say SFF when uh, there was company. And by company, I just mean not people from our family. And, but she didn't see herself as any different to the people who ran those big companies. She felt that she had every right to be cross that her mother's tears had been dried up. And so she did. And my amazing mother never took any credit for the work that she did. And in fact, when I was elected to Parliament, somebody sent me the Hansard transcription from Parliament for the then MP for Birmingham Yardley, who talks about my mum's campaign, and her name is not even mentioned. But as the Member of Parliament for Birmingham Yardley, holding something that your predecessor has said about your family, about this campaign, that is the kind of drug that will make you try and do the right thing when you are given the power that my mum had to grab. And I now have that power, and I have to try wherever possible, even if it means sitting down and being shouted at by a man who probably wished to harm me. I have to use that power for good, and I have to use that power responsibly when all around me people seem to be failing to understand that, as Marvel Comics taught us, 
With great power comes great responsibility. My fucking children know it. If only the Prime Minister would catch on. I shall finish with a call back to what John uh, said about Chris Grayling. And uh, Chris Grayling is my actual hero. He is the greatest man in my life. And that is because when I was running a women's justice centre in uh, the black country near Birmingham, he was the justice secretary. I mean, he came to give a presentation to us about the privatisation, the now failed, of course, because it was Chris Grayling, the now failed privatisation of uh, probation. And he came to talk to us. And in that moment, in that room, in the botanical gardens in Edgbaston in Birmingham, I realised that if Chris Grayling could be a member of parliament, then so could I. <laughs>